0: Back at Black's. They hit the sack. It's been too long, they're glad to be back. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for metalheads.
1: How did you get away? Harry asked, and he was not surprised to hear himself whispering. Creature raised his ugly head and looked at Harry with his great bloodshot eyes. eyes. Master Regulus told Creature to come back. The house elf's highest law is his master's bidding. Intern Creature. Creature was told to come home, so Creature came home.
2: I'm Heather Price-Wright.
0: And I'm Alex Dallenberg.
2: And, of course, we are still reading the seventh and final installment in the Harry Potter cycle, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. This week we're reading the chapters called... A Place to Hide, and Creature's Tale. On this podcast, you will hear cursing and spoilers for this, the final Harry Potter book, as well as all of the ones that preceded it. Although, I think most of our listeners have a better sense of what happens in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows than we do. So, we might spoil very little. You will also hear lots and lots of cursing. And some adult themes. This week's adult themes are emergency preparedness, Irish exits, diner coffee, jump scares, and antiquing. Alex, tell us what happened this week.
0: In this week's chapters, the Death Eaters attack Bill and Fleur's wedding as the protections on the bur- bur- Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> on the borough. Uh, they borough. Borough. The, the borough.
2: Borough is like New York. So,
0: it's like Manhattan and Brooklyn this? and Queens. Uh, we've been recording too much this weekend. Yeah. We're actually getting ahead.
2: I know, but we're getting a little ragged.
0: Anyway, the and it's very sweaty in this apartment for some reason.
2: That's true. We it's put all it's our, really humid outside. That's
0: true. Okay. We put all our pre-episode chatter into the summaries. That's where we get it all out. Anyway, the burrows. Now I'm freaked out that I'm saying burrow wrong. You're saying burrow no. right. The burrows enchantments. Its protective spells are lifted, and Death Eaters start materializing at the wedding. As the terrified guests flee, Hermione grabs Harry and Ron, and they disapparate to... I don't think this.
2: Is I a don't. Bup, bup, bup. I
0: don't think this is worthy of a. Bup, bup, bup. But for some reason, I stopped before, too. They disapparate to Tottenham Court Road in London, which is just the first thing Hermione could think of. As they plot their next move, Hermione gets catcalled by a bunch of drunk bar goers. So, you know, men. <laughs> uh, I'm sure she's thinking like, really, right now? Harry ruefully wonders aloud why he didn't have his invisibility cloak on him. Hermione then reveals that luckily, she's had all their stuff packed for weeks in her beaded handbag, which she's enchanted to hold more stuff, including Harry and Ron's clothes. Just why doesn't every wizard suitcase do this? You'd think this would be, like, standard. Yeah, like like a built-in feature. Like, whoever does, like, the away luggage company of the wizarding world (laughs) would just, like, make these extended suitcases. It's also funny that Harry and Ron are, like, shocked by this. It's like, dude, you've seen that a whole tent can hold like a mansion, basically. Like a single tent, but whatever. Harry, still blown away by magic.
2: It's kind of nice. I,
0: yeah, I guess that's good. It's like, that's cool. I mean, it'd be amazing if you had a bag that could do that. Anyway, that's what happens in the first three fucking pages uh, <laughs> of these chapters. After changing into muggle clothes, the trio slip into a late night diner to discuss their next moves. Harry, under the invisibility cloak... Ron is revolted by the diner coffee, so I guess he's more of a single-origin type of guy. Or do wizards not drink coffee? We've
2: never seen wizards drink coffee. I don't think they have coffee. I think they only you think have so? tea.
0: I don't. There might be some... I feel like there's at least one point where there's coffee?
2: Maybe I not? I don't think they've ever had coffee. So
0: does Ron... is this coffee just disgusting? Or does Ron just not know what coffee tastes like?
2: Probably both. He does describe it as grayish.
0: Yeah, we've all had this coffee.
2: Although it's cappuccinos, which is a weird thing to order at a diner.
0: You can keep cappuccinos at a diner. Should you? I know I mean, you probably can. probably not. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, coffee seems like something Arthur Weasley would be really into. Like, he'd have all the beverage implements. Like, he'd be really psyched by a French press. <laughs> which, fair. I'm psyched by a French press. We have a lot of beverage implements.
2: That we, like, never use. Well, sometimes. Never. <laughs>
0: As Harry, Ron, and Hermione get up to leave, two burly-looking workmen who've been sitting in a booth nearby make a sudden movement toward them. They're but 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 motherfucking Death Eaters! The trio manage to overcome the de- the two Death Eaters in the ensuing coffee shop kerfuffle. It's kind of more than a kerfuffle. It's more, it's more than it's a definitely kerfuffle. more than a kerfuffle. It's a it's a life and death struggle inside whatever fucking coffee shop this is. I don't, Sainsbury's? No, that's a grocery store. I, I don't know, but what I don't know about English chains. Maybe this is an indie. Doesn't really matter. It's completely irrelevant. Um,
2: I have nothing to add to this. It's very boring.
0: <laughs> Ron uses the put outer to kill the lights, and asks. He then asks hesitantly. I don't know if he kills the lights. At what point he kills the lights, but Ron puts the put outer to good use. Having subdued the Death Eaters, Ron also asks what they should do with them. He asks, hesitantly, if they should kill them, because, you know, the Death Eaters would kill them. Harry says wiping their memories would be better, because if these two Death Eaters suddenly disappeared then, that would be a clue as to where they were. So, Hermione, because she's the only one who knows how to do magic, obliviates them. Ron complains that Hermione packed his old jeans because they're really tight, so Hermione is a real ball buster, I guess. Oh my god. <laughs> the trio discuss how the Death Eaters were able to find them... Feeling they have no other choice, they head to Grimmauld Place, even though Snape knows its location. They're just gonna trust that the hexes that Mad-Eye Moody has put on the Order's old headquarters will prevent Snape from being able to tell the other Death Eaters how to get inside. Grimmauld Place is still creepy as hell, but Moody has made it extra creepy? To, I guess, scare Snape away, he's basically turned it into a haunted house with a scary corpse Dumbledore that glides toward them. And they're like, have to say, We didn't kill you, corpse Dumbledore, and then it turns into dust. Uh, This doesn't seem very effective. Like, he just made it spooky. Snape is
2: the spookiest fucking person in the world.
0: I know. Snape lives in a basement full of, like, pickled eyeballs.
2: There must be other charms. I mean, there was
0: the tongue tie curse that doesn't affect them, but kind of makes their tongues feel weird. That's supposed to fuck up Snape. But otherwise, he just put in, like, corpse animatronics,
2: basically. It's not Dumbledore's actual corpse.
0: I know, but it's like...
2: Yeah, it's just a jump scare. It's a haunted (laughs) house. It's a bad haunted house. Like,
0: they put in, like... Scarecrows for Snape or what? Snape crows? I don't know. I, I, this seems. Snape
2: crows. It would be scare Snapes.
0: Scare Snapes. It's
2: supposed to scare the crows. Oh yeah. Crow isn't sense. the operative term <laughs> in scarecrow.
0: I'm trying to imagine Snape showing up and being like, "Really, this is the best you got?" Yeah. I'm. I look. Like Not a, even
2: scared.
0: I look like a bat. Like if anything, Snape would be like. Sweet.
2: This is home.
0: (laughs) He he should have made it look like super cozy and non-threatening. And then Snape would be like, oh, fuck this. Fucking Mad Eye.
2: May he rest. He was
0: phoning it in there. A little. But whatever. Hermione uses a spell to see if there are any other humans in the house. Hominum Revelio. Haven't heard that one before. There aren't. The Death Eaters don't follow them to Grimmauld Place, so they determine that Harry doesn't have the trace on him still, which they were worried about, so it's still an open question how the Death Eaters tracked them to Tottenham Court Road. Arthur's weasel Patronus shows up to tell them the family is still safe, Harry feels sick, his scar hurts, and he gets a vision of Lord Voldemort forcing Draco to torture Raoul, one of the Death Eaters. Voldemort is fucking pissed. It's fucked up that he's having Draco do his torturing for him.
2: Even Harry feels bad for Draco in that moment.
0: Like, ugh.
2: It's it's pretty dark, but he is the Dark Lord. That's
0: true. Yeah, like, you were expecting... You signed on for dark shit, Draco. I know. The trio all sleep in the same room in sleeping bags that Hermione has packed. She really did think of everything. Harry wakes up early plagued by thoughts about Dumbledore, and he sees that Ron and Hermione's hands are very close to each other. Maybe they fell asleep holding hands. Aww. That's cute. I guess. Makes me think of those otters that hold hands. <laughs> sea otters.
2: <laughs> so that they don't get separated when they're sleeping on the, on the ocean.
0: I know. No. So fucking nice. With nothing else to do, Harry explores grimald Place. Much of the house has been ransacked by somebody... He goes into Sirius's room, which is decorated with a bunch of Gryffindor pictures and posters of muggle motorbikes and bikini-clad muggle girls.
2: This is so weird. I guess I. it's funny that he's like, fuck you, I'm going to be really into like muggle culture. But he's specifically into like muggle woman ogling culture, he's which is
0: blooded young man, I guess. Yeah. Well, this kind of raises a lot of questions for me. Is there wizard porn? Like, you'd think you'd be able to get something...
2: Much better. Like,
0: much more if enticing. If
2: move in photos... Right. Wouldn't it sort of extend to the idea that you could get erotic photos in But which... I can
0: see him kind of fetishizing muggle women, right? If they're well, yeah, the in limits. a limits. Well,
2: yeah, it's a very rebel it's a very sort of acting out thing that he's doing because
0: right, they would think it was offensive enough probably because they seem pretty prim and um, prudish as this old pureblood family they'd probably find it scandalous for him to be putting up wizard kind of pinups but the fact that it's muggles makes it even more scandalous
2: more than scandalous probably like disgusting to them right well, Sirius, I think participating in rape culture is <laughs> the least cool way you could express allegiance to muggles, so fuck this.
0: My other thought that is that wizards might be a more sexually repressive society than muggles.
2: I think because that kind of, has borne out. Yeah,
0: they're kind of... They don't get much exposure to like the rest of the world. It sort of feels like... I don't know, they do kind of feel like this religious like sect that's kind of cloistered off. So Sirius kind of like asserting his sexuality in this way is interesting, is an interesting detail. You know, because they don't like I don't know, they're sort of like they're weirdly like magic Amish because they don't use <laughs> seriously though, they don't yeah. use technology. Ron's never seen any movies, you know. I think it would make sense if more wizard kids kind of engage in muggle popular culture as a way of rebelling than we see happen. So like to me this seems like a really normal thing for a young wizard teen to do.
2: Totally. I still think it's icky.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know. You know, I didn't actually I didn't really have that phase. I didn't have like pin ups in my bedroom. I like think I would have found it sort of
2: It's kind of old fashioned even to call it pinups. Pinups, yeah. But you know, like Sexy pictures, right? I mean you were also a prude and a Little literal Boy Scout, so (laughs) that doesn't surprise me, but I guess it's nice. Yeah, okay We've spent too long on this
0: That was an unplanned segment. Yeah Buried inside of a recap, but we still have lots of recapping to do because we need to get through this in one minute Harry Also finds a picture of the four marauders as teens. He tries to take it, but it's frozen to the wall with a sticking charm because Sirius didn't want his parents redecorating. He also finds part of an old letter written to Sirius by buh motherfucking Lily Potter. It was written during the time when James and Lily were in hiding in Godric's Hollow. Uh, hiding from Lord Voldemort. It describes Harry as a baby. It talks about a toy broom given to him by Sirius and how Batilda Bagshot, their neighbor, would come and visit and tell them stories about Dumbledore. The letter says, It seems incredible that Dumbledore... and then trails off. So, more mysteries. Harry obviously feels very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> what? Emotional.
2: Harry obviously feels very emotional.
0: Harry obviously feels very emotional about this discovery. It's, quote, proof that Lily Potter had lived, unquote. Also, they had a cat. It taught Harry terrorizes this cat. There's a the Hogwarts... There's like a Harry Potter fan theory that Crookshanks was the Potter's cat. That doesn't make sense to me. No, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But who knows how long animals fucking live? Maybe their cat was Mrs. Norris. No, no, Mrs. Norris is a bitch cat. (laughs) And maybe a human woman.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that too. Unclear.
0: So Harry kind of feels further betrayed because his parents knew Bethilda Bagshot and Dumbledore never mentioned this because he also knew Bethilda Bagshot. Uh, Also, the letter mentions that Dumbledore had James's invisibility cloak for some reason. So James couldn't go sneaking out. Harry also finds part of a picture of himself as a baby, zooming on the toy broom between his father's legs. So, that's sweet and sad. Hermione finds Harry in Sirius's room. He, he tells her he wants to go to Godric's Hollow because he wants to find out more about Dumbledore. Hermione says, not a great idea, also not really what we're doing right now. Walking out of Sirius' room, Harry notices another room. It says do not enter without the express permission of Regulus, Arcturus Black. It suddenly strikes Harry that this might be the R.A.B. from the locket. So, Harry, Ron, and Hermione go into Regulus' room. It's basically the opposite of Sirius's. It shows that he was obsessed with Slytherin. There's all this Slytherin gear. There's a photo that shows he played Seeker for the Slytherin Quidditch team, and there are all these newspaper clippings about Lord Voldemort's rise. Hermione then remembers that there was a locket that they cleaned out of the Black family home when they were cleaning out everything from Grimald Place to clear it out for the Order, but that they threw it away thinking that Creature might have stolen the locket back, because remember, Creature was taking back all the possessions, the black family possessions, and hoarding them. Harry summons Creature, who is still magically bound to him because he inherited him from Sirius, and they interrogate Creature about the locket. Creature reveals that he did indeed steal the locket back, but then it was stolen by Mundungus Fletcher. Creature calls it Master Regulus's locket, and then bursts into tears and tries to punish himself with a fire poker saying, Creature failed. Creature failed in his orders. Harry then orders Creature to tell him everything he knows about the Locket. He says that when Master Sirius ran away, his mistress's heart was broken, but Regulus was a good boy and friends with Creature, and for years he talked about how the Dark Lord was going to bring the Wizards out of hiding to rule the Muggles and Muggleborns, and he joined the Death Eaters when he turned 16 years old, One day, Regulus came to see Creature in the kitchen and told him the Dark Lord had need of a house elf. Voldemort needed an elf, asked Aerie. Oh yes, said Creature. Regulus volunteered him for a job and said it would be an honor for both of them, and then Creature unfurls an amazing tale. Creature and the Darklet go to a cursed grotto. There's a lake inside the cavern and a spectral boat to cross it. Sailing on the ghostly ship, they reach an island. Holy shit! Globo hands the elf a cup and says to Creature, Bottoms up! Half-blood throwback. We're all feeling deja vu. It's a plot twist. Creature drinks the nightmare fuel. Tastes like Jaeger. Existential terror due. Four crux tests run. Lobo puts the locket in a basin and Creature to his death. But he escaped because he's a... Of a motherfucking house elf, motherfucking house elf, his magic is inscrutable to wizard bigots then. Creature slips the zombie, some motherfucking zombies, and the apparatus to Grimald Place one day. Regulus does creature, motherfucking creature, hey take me back to Lobo's hideout cause I'm woke now so. They go back to the cave and the fucking basin where they play a fuck up drinking game. Regulus drinks every drop to pull off the locket swap. He implores his faithful elf to tell no one what has happened. Thanks for giving me a hand. I have to stay in zombie land. In theory, pull Regulus beneath the water. But creature returns with a true Locket, which is the Bah bah, motherfucking Boar crux, motherfucking Boar crux. now the trio has a chance in hell to find it. Harry makes his peaceful creature, motherfucking creature, so the elf's a fucking good guy now. Harry gives Creature the locket, the motherfucking locket, and asks him if he'd like to be a bounty hunter. It's Harry sends him after Fletcher, Mundungus Buffy Fletcher, who's Creature's mortal enemy. So Harry accepts Creature's role in Sirius' death. And acknowledges his complex internal life. Everyone agrees that slavery is bad, but super convenient at the moment. Creature collecting himself disapparates from Grimold Place to seek out Mundungus Fletcher. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call a reprise.
2: (laughs) And a very good one at that.
0: A little off-key, maybe, but
2: I think you did great. We're gonna go with it. Interestingly, Alex wrote this song on the same day as we saw *Hades Town*, which is a musical on Broadway, which is literally about Orpheus's journey into the underworld, and so culture converges.
0: Orpheus had one job.
2: And he didn't do it very well. They
0: should have sent a house elf instead. House elves follow instructions very well.
2: Creature could absolutely have saved Eurydice. Yeah,
0: Creature. You need, Uri- you need to lead Eurydice out. Whatever you do, do not turn around. Done. Easy. Creature would have been like,
2: hell yeah, that's easy. I'm fine.
0: Orpheus was a poor boy. And in many respects, a huge dumbass.
2: We just have to acknowledge, for the umpteenth time on the Quibbler podcast, that Ron and Harry would be dead without Hermione Granger.
0: Many, many times over. Hermione has a go bag.
2: She is so prepared. And it seems obvious that they should have been prepared to leave at any moment. Because... The protective charms could break at any moment. It's not surprising that that happened. It was sort of expected that eventually they would have to leave in a hurry. And Hermione is the only one that's like, maybe that should be something we are ready to do. (laughs) So this jeweled clutch is, in a word, clutch.
1: How the ruddy hell, undetectable extension charm, said Hermione. Tricky, but I think I've done it okay. Anyway, I managed to fit everything we need in here. She gave the fragile-looking bag a little shake, and it echoed like a cargo hold as a number of heavy objects rolled around inside it. Oh, damn, that'll be the books, she said, peering into it. And I had them all stacked by subject. Oh, well, Harry, you'd better take the invisibility cloak. Ron, hurry up and change. When did you do all this? Harry asked as Ron stripped off his robes. I told you, at the burrow. I've had the essentials packed for days, you know, in case we needed to make a quick getaway. I packed your rucksack this morning, Harry, after you changed, and put it in here. I just had a feeling. You're amazing, you are, said Ron, handing her his bundled up robes. Thank you said Hermione, managing a small smile as she pushed the robes into the bag.
2: And off they go. And it's so funny when Ron is like, you packed my small pants. And Hermione is like, at least you have pants, idiot.
0: (laughs) Can't you just summon clothes or, like, conjure them? You can conjure food. Why do wizards have to bring anything?
2: I think this is one of those questions that-
0: Or engorge the pants or whatever. Well- (laughs) Never mind. Not engorge, uh, but you enlarge. Know, enlarge the pants. Use fucking magic. You're wizards.
2: It is funny what they do and don't use magic to do. At any given moment. But...
0: Like, you, they can shoot fabric out of their wands. Maybe, the, maybe clothes... Maybe it's sort of a temporary effect. Because, you know, they're like shooting streamers and things out of their wands at the party.
2: You probably have to have some skill to turn... Material into I mean, you probably have to be able yeah. to like wizard so well, unless you're Dumbledore who can just produce any furniture he desires
0: or beverages or I mean, well, he's like the most powerful so but this whatever. is one of
2: those things where we can't go down the rabbit hole because then the question is why do wizards need any physical objects if they can just conjure them? Yeah, which can't be true.
0: yeah, they, see, there's like fine. there seems like there's some kind of limits on what they're able to just produce for themselves
2: point being Hermione has all this shit ready to go it is very obviously necessary to have all this shit ready to go what would they do without her there Harry's a pretty good wizard and good in crisis in a cool way but Hermione is the only one like thinking ahead
0: also once again just not carrying the invisibility cloak with him everywhere that shit is so handy
2: I know Why that in the you... Marauders. Well, I guess the Marauders map doesn't matter because it's only Hogwarts. But
0: he's got it though in his Moke skin.
2: Well, which is useful he puts later that on. In the
0: Moke skin, he puts his piece of glass from Sirius's mirror in the Moke skin
2: again. Ends up being useful. Mm-hmm. So many objects. Keep all
0: your fucking power ups on you. Don't.
2: Yes, we learned Store that from that Legend of Zelda.
0: I know. This chapter, A Place to Hide, is short, but I really like how shot through with dread and tension it is. It's also really exciting. There's this battle in the coffee shop. So starting with their kind of abrupt apparition out of the party onto this street where they're then immediately, like, catcalled by these drunks. Like, the drunken guys, they aren't, like... They're not more threatening than the Death Eaters, but it just does add to the sense of them being unmoored and exposed in, I think, a way that's really narratively effective. And then even the coffee shop, it feels really alien compared to the wedding and unfamiliar with the gross coffee. And it's the first time I really feel like the wizards really are fish out of water in a true sense you know in a not a comic sense uh, like with arthur weasley like puzzling over like being amazed by turnstiles or whatever this like something about just like the sludgy coffee and the kind of vaguely unpleasant waitress
2: there is this sense that they are sitting ducks mm-hmm. in a way that's really alarming throughout the chapter because you have no idea how they might be exposed or to whom and there also is this really nice kind of like noir quality to this scene
0: it's like nighthawks or something yeah
2: that's kind of what it reminds me of the the filmy kind of countertops and the the surly waitress you just get this you get this sense that they should all be wearing fedoras and smoking
0: (laughs) It's, it's good atmospheric. It's
2: very, very good atmospheric. You can see why
0: she switches immediately to mystery and novels. That's the
2: thing. Not when, immediately.
0: There's the casual vacancy, and then which
2: is, ugh. but when you read this scene, you can kind of figure out how the cormorant strike. Cormorant? What's his name?
0: Cormorant. Cormorant's a bird.
2: Uh, what is his name? Wait, it's
0: Cormorant Strike.
2: You can kind of see how the Cormorant Strike novels immediately arise from her mind she always has had a kind of detective's flair mm-hmm. the whodunit aspect of the earlier novels is really strong and the kind of puzzling out the mystery but this is a moment where her kind of muggle milieu writing comes out which we don't see very often the fact like it is a fairly realistic scene with the exception of the magical shootout but even that has this very gritty violence to it. Yes. Like, it feels... It doesn't feel like a movie exactly because it's not super choreographed and glamorous, but it definitely has a shootout feel to it.
1: Never mind what they're called, said Hermione a little hysterically. How did they find us? What are we going to do? Somehow, her panic seemed to clear Harry's head. Lock the door, he told her, and Ron, turn out the lights. He looked down at the paralyzed Dolohov, thinking fast as the lock clicked, and Ron used the deluminator to plunge the cafe into darkness. Harry could hear the men who had jeered at Hermione earlier, yelling at another girl in the distance. What are we going to do with them? Ron whispered to Harry through the dark. Then, even more quietly, kill them? They'd kill us. They had a good go just now. Hermione shuddered and took a step backward. Harry shook his head. We just need to wipe their memories, said Harry. It's better like that. It'll throw them off the scent. If we killed them, it'd be obvious we were here.
0: It kinda reminds me, have you seen a history of violence? No. Oh, there's this pretty vi there's this pretty brutal robbery scene in a coffee shop. It's Vigo Mortensen is he's like this small town guy who becomes a hero for fighting off these Burglars in a coffee shop by killing them, basically. But that, like, now I'm just gonna recite the plot of History of Violence. But it turns out that he was such a skilled fighter because he was actually this mob guy who's like ran away to like start a new life. But it's all about how violence is bad. You know, it's not as good. (laughs) It's, It's basically the thesis of a History of Violence, and it's not as like fucking cool or whatever I mean that's like a really reductive description of a history of violence but I anyway it reminded me of that because I like how ragged this fight scene is it's not very glamorous they're clearly terrified there I like the descriptions of how they're all like shaking at the end of it and yeah it doesn't have this kind of action movie ballet like quality to it. They're really like torn up and shook up at the end of this fight in a way that I think it feels really genuine and it's pretty alarming. And there's this kind of chilling moment where Ron says, are we supposed to kill them now? Like what are the rules? Or we're at war, I guess.
2: Yeah. What happens here? And Harry, I think actually has really good instincts in this sense because a, a, Harry really doesn't want to kill, which we talked about in the last episode, but also Harry is like, it's going to be much more suspicious if these two Death Eaters wind up dead, and it's very smart of him to be like, let's just put them in a, what will feel to them like a completely random scene where they don't know what has happened. Wiping right. their memories is inspired. And of course Hermione is the only one that can actually <laughs> figure out how to do it, but Yeah I think this is a great first scene of their kind of on the run sort of book because they're just so exposed and you have you know in the in the previous books you sort of have a rhythm to adhere to you kind of know not necessarily plot wise but sort of. Beat by beat wise. You know what's going to happen next. Because they go back to school. And then.
0: There's going to be a Christmas scene. And. and We
2: just lose all of that in this book.
0: And when I first read Deathly Hallows. I really didn't like. How it departed from. The school year format. But. Now on my reread. I'm appreciating it. A lot more. Because it really gives you the sense that. Anything could happen. And it. Yeah, it just shows how untethered they are from everything that is familiar to them. We're in, like, totally uncharted territory. And it adds it adds to the sense of dread and foreboding because Voldemort's really, like, fucked the world up.
2: There's this really unsafe feeling reading mm-hmm. this book. And you didn't really realize that you were relying on a certain sense of safety, even in the really fucked up scenes in the last two books. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last three really, four through six, have some very disturbing things happen in them. And obviously have really prominent deaths. But there is still a sense of security in that you know that no matter what, it's going to end. That last scene is going to be them waiting for the Hogwarts Express. And it's like, well, it's still summer. And we just have lost all of our bearings. Yeah,
0: I, I don't think you could do this book. At school.
2: No it wouldn't make any sense.
0: Obviously they end up at school at the end. Which is appropriate and fitting for all the obvious reasons. But. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm appreciating the structure of this book more.
2: The unstructuredness is. Right. More appealing I think than the first time I read this. Because it is interesting to write a series of boarding school novels. And then just pull the rug out from under the reader in this way. And it's kind of a brave choice, I think. Yeah. Because she really trusts the reader to go along with her outside of the familiar kind of corridors of the previous books. But you can also see her gearing up to be a different kind of writer in sort of her next phase. Mm -hmm. Which I think is cool. And you can see that she can write outside of her own sort of structures. So that's cool.
0: Yeah. This This is a tight action scene, I think.
2: I agree. Then... Okay, so so we've already had a couple of pretty brutal emotional moments in Deathly Hallows, but this is the first time I've cried when Harry was reading the letter from his mother to Sirius. I actually did start crying because it's so poignant. Getting a glimpse of Lily as a person is much more emotionally resonant and satisfying than I think I expected.
1: Dear Padfoot, Thank you, thank you for Harry's birthday present. It was his favorite by far. One year old and already zooming along on a toy broomstick. He looks so pleased with himself, I'm enclosing a picture so you can see. You know it only rises about two feet off the ground. But he nearly killed the cat and he smashed the horrible vase Petunia sent me for Christmas. No complaints there. Of course, James thought it was so funny. Says he's going to be a great Quidditch player. But we've had to pack away all the ornaments and make sure we don't take our eyes off him when he gets going. We had a very quiet birthday tea, just us and old Batilda, who has always been sweet to us and who dotes on Harry. We were so sorry you couldn't come, but the orders got to come first. And Harry's not old enough to know it's his birthday anyway. James is getting a bit frustrated, shut up here. He tries not to show it but I can tell. Also, Dumbledore's still got his invisibility cloak, so no chance of little excursions. If you could visit, it would cheer him up so much.
2: We know a lot about James's inner life. Mm -hmm. And Lily, we just have these sort of glancing views of as, like, just a good person and a good witch.
0: Perfect dead mom.
2: Yeah, and so this letter brings her personality to life. I mean, just in this really kind of... Just in this sort of flash of illumination, but she's tender, she's funny, she's a good mother, but she's also, like, a real mother.
0: Yeah, she's perceptive.
2: She's she, incredibly she perceptive. She knows
0: something is up with Wormtail, but, you know, she also, like James, is very trusting, so she just assumes best intentions, even though he's, like, fucking eyeballs deep in Lovo treachery. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think it's sweet that she and Sirius keep up a correspondence because James does seem like the kind of person where he has these best friends but if they're not physically around he could just like go for months without talking to them because it wouldn't occur to him to like write a letter. So it doesn't it feels sort of fitting that she's like the correspondent of the family and the mm-hmm. one to reach out to their community and kind of say like hey we're here we're, we're okay. And Seeing this tiny little glimpse of baby Harry is so moving.
0: Yeah, it's heartbreaking because he doesn't have the scar. It's on the in the photo.
2: It's this whole alternate reality where Harry Potter isn't marked yet. Mm-hmm. Although I guess he sort of technically is because that's why Voldemort's after them in the first place. But he right. doesn't bear the. I mean, yeah, he doesn't bear the literal yet. scar. It's a glimpse
0: of the possibilities in a really heartbreaking, in a heartbreaking way.
2: Yeah, and it also shows you that Lily was really wonderful at maintaining a sense of normalcy in family life, even even in a time of great catastrophe. They are having a really sweet family Christmas. I mean, they have a cat and visitors. One visitor, Bethilda Bagshot, which I actually think that she's a really great presence in this novel, but it's also kind of random that we've gotten seven books in, and A History of Magic is like the most famous book in the wizarding world and it is sort of random that after six and change books in which A History of Magic is sort of prominent and something that Hermione has referenced multiple times we find out at the very end that all of these characters were close with this incredibly famous and the only intellectual that we've met yet in the wizarding world. So Bethilda's entrance on the scene this late is a little odd. But I'm excited about her presence. She's she's fun. Why do we remember why Dumbledore has the invisibility cloak? Is he already doing his sort of like hallows research?
0: I assume so, but this will be revealed to us in time, I'm sure.
2: No spoilers. <laughs> JK, you guys can spoil it spoil because away. although it's actually kind of fun realizing there's a lot we don't know. Because it is sort of like rediscovering this book in a very Dude, real way. Dude, there's so
0: much freaking plot in this book. I mean, Ugh. there's so much plot in every Harry Potter book. But writing these summaries now? I mean, I, I sort of write a loose outline and then riff based on the points that I write down. A little fun behind the scenes. Uh,
2: fun might be stretching it. Detail
0: there. But I'm finding that I have to pack in so much.
2: We might have to start doing one chapter at a time eventually toward the end
0: I think it's gotten packed when the dung bombs really hit the fan
2: (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about Regulus Black who again is somebody that we are meeting at the 11th hour but who even just in the sketches that we get through other people's memories is a fascinating character.
0: Hey, it's wild that he does all this at, like, 17 years old.
2: I mean, Harry's doing all of this at, I know. like, 15.
0: I know. It's... That's also wild.
2: Yeah. J.K. Rowling has a lot of faith in teenagers.
0: But Regulus might be more intense than Harry in some ways because he betrays the Dark Lord and then willingly gives himself over to the Inferi to drown him. I guess Harry would probably do something similar yeah, if but he had to.
2: Harry sort of doesn't have a choice. Regulus makes a really conscious choice here. He
0: throws it all away.
2: Right. He doesn't throw it all away. He sacrifices himself. Right,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, he throws away his life.
2: He doesn't throw away his okay, life. He he puts his life to extremely important use in a way that kills okay, him. Okay,
0: throw away is the wrong word. Uh, he gives he up gives his up life. He gives up his life, which is a pretty privileged and comfortable existence, I think. He's from a rich family. He was a seeker on the Quidditch team, so that brings a certain amount of cachet.
2: He clearly occupies a fairly privileged place in Voldemort's circle. Mm -hmm. He, um, being asked to be the one that provides the house elf, I mean, maybe that's not actually privilege, but it seems like he's somebody that Voldemort trusts and relies on. And... The fact that everything changes because of how Voldemort treats a house elf says so much about his character and is really fascinating that, because that is a really astounding act of empathy to what? be so invested in the, the life and well-being of, a, of an enslaved creature to change everything about how you live your life and sacrifice yourself because Voldemort was cruel to an elf.
0: That's what turns him, right? I is, think so. Vo- I mean, that to me is the implication. Regulus is so disgusted by Voldemort's treatment of creature that he turns on Voldemort. Maybe there's more to it than that, but...
2: That seems to be the it seems central... seems to be the catalyst. Yeah. What
0: kind of starts turning the wheels in Regulus's head.
2: But... I just think that's beautiful. Regulus ends up being kind of off-page, one of the great heroes of this series. I mean, he does a truly astounding thing and makes, well, leads them much, much, much closer to the destruction of Lord Voldemort.
0: Slytherin good guy. There you go. Yes.
2: Here we have, I mean, to be fair though, he was a Slytherin bad guy first.
0: That is true. He is just a
2: redeemed Slytherin bad guy. He does join
0: the Death Eaters at 16 years old.
2: And only turns against them when a creature that he has a particular individual emotional connection with is harmed
0: I kind of wish we knew more about Regulus's philosophical transformation
2: I do too you i know? think it would be is
0: it just that like he felt disrespected by the dark lord that he would torture his house elf is it because of his empathy on a like sentient being to sentient being level for creature like what is it that sets Regulus off.
2: Yeah, and does he come to regret his beliefs about and treatment of other innocents? Like, does he change his mind about muggles and muggle-borns? Or is he just, is it a personal vendetta against the Dark Lord?
0: Yeah. It seems like it's more than just personal, just based on the letter and the locket. Yeah. Because he kind of, he doesn't like, he doesn't take Voldemort to task for like, fucking over his elf he's like you deserve to go down You're bad news
2: that's true it's interesting that Sirius never learns this about his brother and I wonder how you think Sirius would react
0: I don't know I think his reaction would be complicated because he obviously had really complicated relationships with his family so maybe he'd be glad
2: yeah I wonder if he would respect his brother or I also can see him feeling a certain amount of like envy and that weird serious emasculation that we see so much of like anger that he wasn't the one to steal the Horcrux. He just he had so much pride that I can actually see him feeling some hatred toward his brother for going down like a hero.
0: Yeah.
2: In a way that honestly Sirius kind of didn't.
0: Yeah that's true. Like
2: Sirius did not go out in a blaze of glory.
0: Do you think it's sort of cheap that it is regulus this off-page hero that doesn't really show up elsewhere he's sort of mentioned by sirius in order of the phoenix and then he shows up here
2: it's a very jk rowling move it's kind of a reverse Barty crouch yeah. where we get these totally random side characters that end up playing a really important role in the larger narrative but i think I mean I think a thing that it does and it is useful for is put it in a larger context. Like this isn't actually just Harry's fight. There have been so many people who have come before him to kind of pave the way for this fight. Mm -hmm. So I think putting it in the context of it's been a broad and long war where lots and lots and lots of kind of unknown and unheralded soldiers have like made a difference. Unsung as it were. Um, but I mean, it is very Jacob Rowling to be like, also this guy. Yeah,
0: Regulus Black.
2: <laughs> Remember he Everyone's existed? favorite. Yeah, exactly. It's like the Barty Crouch, like best Death Eater there is. Also, he just completely vanishes from memory after book five. <laughs> and then, relatedly, you know, this arc with creature is going to end up being really interesting and kind of beautiful. And here we are laying the groundwork for creature's turnaround and redemption this the message that jk rowling is conveying about creature here is such a mealy-mouthed center-left like bullshit it's not liberation it's just like be nice to your slaves like i find it so underwhelming is she
0: trying to say that because hermione talks about how sick it is the institution in general that house elves have to obey they don't free creature okay but yeah yeah
2: they could free Creature.
0: Creature's complicated because he's sort of... Yeah, they could free Creature.
2: Hermione could push to free Creature. If Hermione is fully like consciousness raised.
0: Apparently, giving Creature jewelry does not count as clothes because the locket doesn't free him.
2: Yep, that's interesting.
0: It's gotta be fabric. Fabric or nothing.
2: I mean, sure, being nice to Creature is on balance, I guess, a good move, but... You know, this is just coming back to the fact that we have a race of enslaved beings in these books, which is so broken that it's hard to get past. Right. So, yeah, I mean, do they ever free Creature? I forget.
0: I don't think so.
2: So Hermione isn't immediately like, oh, this is so wrong and sick and we should do something about it.
0: Creature's kind of, I don't know. I feel like Creature's sort of an edge case because he's so old that there's there no such really... thing
2: there's no such thing as an edge case in yeah. the liberation of the enslaved no
0: i mean you're right you're right i'm just trying to suss this out i'm just trying to work you, this out you
2: wonder if creature he would
0: really i mean within the rules of the universe he would be really upset that's true to so be cut off from the blacks it would be like being disinherited or disowned. Yeah, I
2: think that's true. No, I think you're right. I don't know.
0: There's, like, almost no way you could... You could free Creature and say, you can stay here and you're still a member of the Blacks, but I don't think in Creature's understanding... That would work. That's how it would work. I think he would feel cast out and would probably, like, die of depression, you know? And, like, misery.
2: That's true. No, that's a good point. I don't know,
0: but it's, like, weird that she's written him that way. But, like, that's also J.K. Rowling's, like, authorial decision. Dobby seems to be the only house elf who has any desire for wizard-style freedom.
2: Well, I mean...
0: So, I don't know. This is, like, Creature's... You want to give Creature agency, but also Creature has a lot of internalized uh, self-loathing.
2: But... You have to admit, as somebody who knows a lot about this shit, there was a lot of narration in the American South about how slaves liked to be slaves. Yeah,
0: that's fucking weird of J.K. Rowling. Like,
2: there, that was like a really central narrative to maintaining slavery in America. And you know,
0: that's what Ron says in Goblet of Fire when he's trying to talk Hermione out of her, I guess, her house elf abolitionism. He says they, like, they it. like it. They like it. They like it. Which is an
2: argument that has been made by enslavers in the Muggle world for centuries. Right. And is It's a fucked up argument. So it's like,
0: it's kind of, it's kind of disturbing that I can't tell if Rowling is parodying that, or if she's giving it credence.
1: The by house elves her depiction,
0: through her depiction of house elves. Yeah. Like it's really, it's really confusing for me. I can't tell what she's trying to get at here. I think it's really interesting to make house elves instrumental to Voldemort's downfall.
2: I think so too, but I think the idea that there's this vast difference between how the good guys treat house elves and how the bad guys treat house elves is just
0: false. Well, Hermione makes that point. She says when Voldemort is making him drink the nightmare fuel, she says... Creature wouldn't have seen this as that far out of the ordinary because most wizards treat him really badly.
2: Well, and it's telling that the quote-unquote good guy from the black family is the one who is so cruel to Creature that Creature betrays him. Right. Like, Regulus wasn't cruel to Creature. Regulus was a fucking Death Eater, but he was kind to his house elf. Yeah. So... I mean, that doesn't paint serious in a great light. And I just think it underscores the point that the good side is no better on how self-rights.
0: Well, I think, I think Rowling is, I think that's what Rowling's trying to say.
2: I think that's true, but I think Rowling has written them deliberately to be sort of unliberatable by virtue of the fact that they want to remain enslaved. Yeah. Which I feel really strongly is...
0: Fucked up. (laughs) And even with Dobby, there's some weird, like, minstrelsy, almost. Yeah. Like, he's kind of silly. He wears weird outfits. He doesn't have any aspirations beyond working in the Hogwarts kitchen. He just wants, he's just happy he gets to wear clothes, you know? Yeah. The house elf stuff is weird as hell.
2: It's pretty bad. I do think you're right that it's interesting that a house elf plays a really chief role in Voldemort's downfall because Voldemort is literally incapable of imagining that house elf magic is useful in any way. So it doesn't occur to him that Creature will be able to get out of the cave because he's never studied the fact that house elves can do things that wizards can't and that would be totally outside the realm of possibility for him. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, you get like, oh, Voldemort's cruelty and dismissal of house elves is like a part of his evilness, but it's like, it's not that much worse than the Weasleys' sort of understanding of House Elves. They're a little bit more empathetic, but not much.
0: Right. Ugh. Well, it messes up the whole wizarding world. It does. You know? Because damn near Sirius' mistreatment of creature basically does for him what it does to Voldemort in the end. You it's know? true.
2: It's the most broken system we see, and it's sort of swept under the rug. But uh, there are also really key moments where the enslavement of house elves is like a real downfall to
0: wizards. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, But it's they like...
2: also are often really helpful. Like, Creature is really helpful. Well, yeah,
0: they immediately, Harry immediately starts taking advantage of the fact that he has... That he
2: owns a house elf. He
0: owns a house elf and is like, all right, I have a mission for you, Creature, and I'm pretty sure you'll succeed because it's like you existentially can't disobey orders.
2: Well, and Harry's solution is to just give orders in a nicer way.
0: Yeah, I... It's like,
2: okay, that's not different.
0: <laughs> um yeah, it totally depends on the goodwill of of wizards that their 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 solutions to the house elf problem. It's like, oh, well we just need to like behave better, not empower house elves to
2: break free of their bondage yeah
0: i i don't know i mean i do think there's something poetic in oppressors through the act of their oppression sowing the seeds of their downfall that's cool
2: but they don't they sow the seeds of their own downfall but they don't sow the seeds of the oppressed people's emancipation right this voldemort's actions toward creature don't end in creature's freedom yeah they just fuck over Voldemort. Yeah. So it's like only half of the narrative you want. But whatever. We just, every time we come across House Elves shit, know. it's like, oh I... wait, this world is fundamentally fucked.
0: <laughs> um, I like Creature though. He's really, he's brave. He's. I mean, yeah. He's crafty.
2: It's true. No, I mean, Creature's a great character and so is I Dobby. Lo- I love
0: how fucking. We
2: have great characters in House Elves. Right. Dobby is gonna break our hearts into a million pieces in like a hundred pages. So fucking yeah. We we have great examples of house elf characters, but if you think too much about the existence of house elves as a race, it's like, ooh, this is not a good group of people.
0: Yeah. The real world analogs are really uncomfortable. Yes. When it comes to house elves.
2: Yeah. It's it's hard to look them straight on. If you try too hard to do it, it ruins Harry Potter. So, I don't know. I mean, we just have to kind of do it and then glance off of it. But um, moving on, hot take alert. I think Mundungus Fletcher is the actual chief villain of the Harry Potter series. Dude, (laughs) fuck this guy to hell.
0: Why, Why is he in the Order of the Phoenix to begin with?
2: Why did anyone ever trust this guy? I mean, I
0: get Dumbledore like, I think we've talked about this... He was like, oh, to we need somebody... This rogues gallery, like, heist film kind of situation. Yeah, he's like an
2: Ocean's Eleven...
0: We need, like, like... a safe cracker or whatever. And Mundungus, Mundungus
2: has never, never, never done a good job.
0: Dude, Mrs. Fig should have killed him when she had the chance. I wish
2: Mrs. Fig had murdered Mundungus Fletcher <laughs> four books ago.
0: Or Harry, when he's shaking him down in, uh... In Hogsmeade. He has
2: done so many things that so royally fuck over the Order. Like, yeah, Mundungus does not deserve to live through this book. I forget if he does.
0: I I don't know.
2: But he shouldn't. And I think Mundungus is is the true bad guy.
0: Unsung villain.
2: Yes, exactly. Speaking of which, who's your unsung hero?
0: My unsung hero is Old Dusty, which is what Ron calls... Mad-Eye Moody's weird, like, animatronic corpse of Dumbledore. It's like, no one else here except Old Dusty. I... Calling him Old Dusty is hilarious. They should have kept Old Dusty to, like, I don't know, scare Death Eaters at various points.
2: As, like, a cool Halloween decoration. Mm-hmm.
0: Just turning like the Halloween funhouse town. The
2: scariest house on the block with their <laughs> scary Dumbledore corpse. Dude,
0: wizards should hold... Muggle Halloween houses.
2: They would scare muggles to literal death. <laughs> no, that's too scary. My unsung heroes are inadvertent heroes. They are Dolohov and Rowell. Because they fail so spectacularly. And they're such dunderheads in this. And I just... The Death Eaters are such a confederacy of dunces. It's kind of unreal.
0: I mean, they have the stormtrooper problem, right? Where they just have really bad aim.
2: Yeah. And also... Harry, Ron, and Hermione are teenagers.
0: I know, but that's like, that's the problem in any book or movie like this, right?
2: Right, is like, you have to have villains that are sort of passably scary, but also horrible at their jobs. (laughs) But they're, it's like a Jasper and Horace situation. Yeah. It's like, get it together, guys. But it's super fucked up that Draco then has to torture them. So anyway, yep, they're numbskulls.
0: This week's episode is brought to you by Tottenham Court Road. When you can't think of anything else to do, go there. Don't drink the coffee. It's a real place. I looked it up on Google Maps. Is it cute? Looks pretty fucking normal to me. I don't know. (laughs) Londoners, let us know if Tottenham Court Road is actually like a cool destination or not.
2: The audiobook clips you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Please go subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you like to do that and uh, rate and review us if you would like. We would like you to. You can find us on social media at Quibbler Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can email us quibbler podcast at gmail.com we haven't been getting that many e-owls lately so we'd love to hear from you all probably
0: because we haven't done a mailbag in a long time
2: it's true we should do that we also have a great newsletter which you can find at tinyletter.com slash quibbler podcast next week we are reading the chapters called the bribe and magic is might which is a super fucked up chapter so good luck
0: thanks amigos
1: It's no wonder I can't get it out, Hermione. You packed my old jeans. They're tight. Oh, I'm so sorry, hissed Hermione, and as she dragged the waitress out of sight of the windows, Harry heard her mutter a suggestion as to where Ron could stick his wand instead. I've had the essentials packed for days, you know, in case we needed to make a quick getaway. I packed your rucksack this morning, Harry, after you changed, and put it in here. I just had a feeling. Now, I want you to go in that bag and find my wallet. She said, peering into it. Which one is it? It's the one that says bad motherfucker.